believe that your personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. Michelle and I met on a panel. We were in conversation around inclusion in Hollywood, and she had just shot season one of Vita. I immediately knew we'd be friends. She's so warm. She's so intelligent. We have a lot of the same passions, and over time, we've grown a beautiful, honest, vulnerable friendship. I've loved watching her shine and see how she's been using her voice as a tool for good. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that we found each other in this world, huh? <laughs> I know. It was really, really insane timing, too, because you were just on the precipice of something really big. And I was sort of probably in the trenches. <laughs> but it was really nice. I mean, the, the beautiful part of my entrepreneurial journey has been meeting like-minded people who have the same sort of purpose and mission in their life. And so it was just really nice to meet someone who was expressing that mission in a different way. Yeah, I mean, it was it was actually, I think, my first panel in my whole life. And I remember being asked, and I thought I was being asked to just attend as a guest. And then was asked, like, oh, would you speak? And I thought, like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of us just sharing stories. And then when the invite came out, it was you and I on the invite. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was interesting because I remember it was such a beautiful lesson because it was the first time when I realized that it was going to be you and I on this panel discussing. I was just like, I don't, what do I have to share? I, I'm still at the beginning of things. I'm, I'm still learning. And us being able to speak and have the conversation that we had, which was so great. And it, it was just, it, it was just a very strong moment of realization of realizing, oh, wow, like wherever you are is such a worthwhile place to speak from because we are always on a journey. It's never a point of I'm here and now I know everything. So it was, it was a really powerful moment because afterwards people, you know, were coming up to us and grateful for us sharing. And, and it was just like a moment of authenticity and kind of stepping into your own space a bit that I hadn't ever really thought of until that moment. I think that's really important because so often it's like you feel like you have to be at a certain place in your career to say something because you're like, oh, well, when I'm successful, then I have these legs to stand on. And so much yeah. before I started public speaking, that was my experience as well was, well, I'm not fully funded yet. I'm not in this place. And the reality is speaking about that in a lot of ways is more, there's more to connect with, right? Because most people aren't where they expect to be. And most people aren't, don't have that like career title that they want. Every benchmark is a new benchmark. And it was really powerful for me to be in a place where like, actually what we need to sort of do more is talk about the process. Unless mm -hmm. once you're at the destination, you can look and say, okay, that was hard. But while you're going through it, we have the ability to connect with people in a much deeper way because it's not from like a rear view mirror. Yeah. And the process, because everybody loves the success story, loves to hear the, this is how I made it and now I'm here. But there's also all of the failures that happen along the way, all of the moments that you sometimes doubt yourself, but you feel strong the next day and the support system that we put around ourselves. I mean, I think us as women, especially in, in these times where we're striving, I think in such beautifully powerful ways 
and breaking down status quo. I, I know I feel a commitment to being vulnerable with the process. And there's times where I think I am the best thing that's ever happened. And then other times where I just kind of sit there and think, oh my gosh, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I strong enough? And I think that there's just an importance in, in understanding that. And I realize also sometimes people get down on themselves because they're at the beginning of the journey, but there's something so beautiful about being at the beginning because you're never going to be there again. You know, and every single person that we look up to had a beginning, they started somewhere and whenever, wherever that is, I think sometimes we're attached to this idea of it needs to be at some point in this like youth or whatever, but truly constantly able to start new beginnings at any point, whether it's in your 30s, 40s, 50s, like you can turn a new chapter in your life and and feel empowered in that. 100%. Because it all, everything you've done up until then will give you the tools, the perspective to do something else. And I think that Mm -hmm. people are afraid of that, right? Because it's like breaking out of your comfort zone, but it's a worthwhile thing to do because you grow. Yeah. And it's a growth mindset and realizing, I mean, kind of going back to not only the successes, but the failures. I mean, every major thing that has happened in the world is actually, yes, there's been a success, but there's so many failures that come from before that moment. So it's like, why not just allow ourselves? We already have the no. So let's go out there and look for the yes. And you only really need a few, but just go out there and look for it because you don't, you actually have nothing to lose. You're already sitting there with a no. If you're, you know, wanting to start a business or wanting to be an actor or wanting to whatever it is, create a new app or whatever it is like, you know, by sitting at home and not taking risks, you already have the no. So look for the yes. And I think also sharing like the number of no's. I think that people be like, oh yeah, everything's fine. And I was guilty of that for a long time too. And then I got to a place where I was like, you know what? No, let me talk (laughs) about what it took to get here. Let me talk about that process because it was brutal. And like acting, being an actor and being an entrepreneur, you'll probably hear me say that multiple times in this podcast, but they're very similar. It's riddled with rejection when you're, whether you're auditioning or whether you're pitching to investors, there's a lot of no's and it's a hard process to consistently put yourself up for rejection. But we have to share that so that we know that like, okay, that's just the normal. It's not, the normal is not getting the quick yes. The normal is getting a hundred no's. Yeah. And your dreams are sacred, you know, and you should defend those for yourself and find that strength within yourself because there's something so beautiful in allowing yourself to dream and strive and want something more. It's a, it's a desire that's really powerful within us. And I think sometimes it's what we do with that instinct. Some, you know, if we have a desire, it can be like, oh, I'm not that. So therefore I'm all these things that are not great about myself or like, oh, wow, something inside of me is striving for something else. And that's an exciting journey to be a part of. And to really surround yourself with people that are going to honor that sacred part of you and not you know, it's, it, people want to snatch things away from each other, but I mean, there's more than enough to go around. We're so much stronger as a tribe. So it's, I think that that's also for me been the biggest thing is to surround myself with people that allow me and I allow them to have those sacred spaces and to feed them together. Will you tell us about booking Vita, the process to getting that role and sort of, I mean, that was a really big shift in your life. And I'd love to share with our listeners sort of like how you got there. Yeah, it changed my life. It was, I had been auditioning for a lot of things. Couldn't book two lines to save my life, um, but I was still working. And I think it goes back to kind of 
feeding that sacred desire. I was still working on my craft. I was still, I was in an acting class with this uh, amazing coach, Marjorie Ballantyne, who was encouraging me and I was getting close to quite a few things. So, but I wasn't booking them. And I remember being a bit disheartened with even the types of roles that I was being offered. So a friend of mine and I decided we were going to write a pilot that was like the exact type of show I'd want to be on. And, and uh, we wrote the pilot and the day that it was like done, we're like, okay, I think this is like, maybe we can start sending it around. And I had no idea really how to do any of that because that always feels like that's heaven and we're on this side of, of the fence. But I was just like, I don't know, I'm just going to take these steps. And it was the day that we finished that she sent me a deadline article and said, there's a show that's almost exactly like the show we just wrote, except it was based in Highland Park and V that was based in Boyle Heights. But it was essentially about it, oh it dealt with all the issues lgbtq like gentrification you know not being latina enough being too latina and all of this stuff and it was just a weird moment of you know you're just like okay interesting and and i remember she was we were both kind of like oh it's there someone's already making that show but then i was kind of excited being like well you know what that's we wrote this because we wanted shows like this to exist so that's fine and then we were kind of thinking oh we'll still maybe shop it around because nobody ever says oh there's already two buddy cop shows i guess there can't be another one or another show with the spy (laughs) i never thought that i would get to be the lead of that show I went in for a smaller part. I originally actually went in for one of the leads, didn't book it, only really had one really big credit, which was a, a short form series for Fear the Walking Dead. And then the next, so I went, that was one of the shows that I, that I had really wanted to be on, but I was actually just excited to get called in. That was even a victory for me being like, oh, wow, I'm being considered for a show like this. And then I uh, didn't get it. Then I went in to play the love interest of the lead and um and then was didn't get that <laughs> so two knows and then got recast as the other lead a few weeks before we started shooting and i learned everything on that show and i a lot of times i consider it my first love you know so it's like now that we're not shooting anymore you know it's nursing that heartbreak but i i didn't feel like i was fully prepared to be the lead on a show because that's a whole thing but i went for it because opportunity was there and I, I was just very very excited to kind of do something that felt so challenging and terrifying but exciting at the same time it's so funny because there's a lot of people in the business where you're like oh you, do, you don't get cast initially you sort of get the no and then I'm like if it's meant to be yours it always like comes back around and I was thinking yeah. about like the hero's journey where it's like it'd be too easy if you just got cast you know <laughs> like it's like you have to like go through the couple yeah. no's and then like what's yours will be yours but um, that's such a good story that like you didn't even see that coming but you connected so much to the material and the narrative and and, you know, that probably shown through. And what was strange, too, about when I didn't book the book, well, the second time I went in for the for the smaller part, um, but I did test for it. So I was down to the last three choices. And I don't know where this came from, because I was very excited to be at that point. And then I got the call saying that I didn't book it. I cried a little bit, but there was still this gratitude that I was like, you know what? I tested it was my first test and I tested for a show that was exactly what I had wanted to see in the world and then get to be considered for. So I just remember feeling all of this gratitude as opposed to kind of disappointment 
you know, obviously I was sad because I didn't want to be a part of it, but it wasn't like, I don't know. I didn't beat myself up. I was just like, you know what? Like, that's just, that's something to celebrate. And I don't know where that came from, but, but I was grateful for it because it, I was like, Oh, this, this feels like maturity. <laughs> this feels like, you know, my, my worth isn't coming from this exterior thing. It's coming from like, Oh, I feel like I did a really good job that I was good enough to be considered. And at the end, you don't know why you book it or some people don't or whatnot. But that was like, I just remember thinking, God, that's so cool that that happened, that I could feel that. And I still to this day don't really know where it came from because you feel like you're this like emotionally, spiritually mature person. And then the next day you're like crying because yep. like you didn't get your banana bread or something. Ridiculous. Yep. I feel that way often where you're like, oh yeah, I've like advanced the next level. I'm like, oh, I'm too evolved for that. And then like this very human thing. My sister recently like told me she was like, I was like FaceTime quarantine dating. She was like, but like you can't smell people. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me, I'm a... Uh, very evolved. I'm uh, interested in someone's brain and soul. And, you know, like I'm, I mean, that's far more important than how you smell. And then I like met up on a social distance date with a guy and could not stand the way he smelled. (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, Denise, you're a human. You're like a primal human. You are not above these human things. You're an animal. But it was so funny because like we have these moments where we're like, oh, yes, I'm like, I've done the work. I'm feeling good. And then you're just like the the humbling moments of no, no, no. Yeah. You're like, no, I still have that little primal, primal brain. (laughs) I'm still (laughs) a monkey after all. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to trying to survive and find love (laughs) to mate. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. I was like, okay, so I guess pheromones. There there is something to the scientific idea of pheromones. Uh, Oh, God, I feel like. I've learned to never say never anymore because every single time in my life that I've been like, I would never do that. I'm not that type of person. Something comes along to just smack me in the face and be like, okay, maybe I'm not that type of person a little bit. Didn't really uh, realize that. Maybe I'll just stop saying that. Yeah, it's a good moment to take a step back and be like, okay, we don't know anything. Yeah, truly. We really don't. I think, and, and I think also our ability to change our mind is such a powerful thing. We're being get new information, and you're just like, oh wow, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. And how I feel like now more than ever, people I, I'm seeing a lot of people have an idea and then just like want to cling to it as if it's like their their value of who they are. Like heaven forbid you're wrong. It's like no, I'm wrong all the time. I love being wrong. Like, I love, I know because this is going to sound really terrible, but I'm not wrong that often, okay? you're so spiritually evolved. No, not that, but I'm just not wrong that I'm a very, I'm a Virgo. I'm really obsessed with research and facts. And like, I'm, you know, like I'm a little bit cuckoo on like the amount of time I dive into topics. So, but I love when I'm wrong because it's a moment. It's like, it's, it's that great moment where I'm like, I'm grateful in this moment. I'm grateful to you. Like it was like recently, I was like a small, stupid thing, but I was wrong. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Because mm-hmm. I'm so used to like being like whatever, a psycho obsessed with research and master of topics. And it's nice sometimes to be like, yeah, you 100%, Denise, like there's so much more to learn. And, and also like the pressure of like actually being perfect and right on the time. No, thank you. <laughs> like I'm good. That sounds stressful. No, we need to abandon that whole idea of perfection. I mean, I don't think obviously it doesn't like no one we know is perfect. It's just about celebrating people in their rawness and their flaws. But I think that's really like the problem is that like the more that I stepped into my truth, and my authentic self, the more I found that I was surrounded by people that celebrated me fully in a way that's very like nurturing and enriching. And it's like fundamentally changed my life because when you feel very seen and heard, 
by your friends or your family or like whoever it is, your boyfriend, whatever, it changes how you show up to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also embracing every part of yourself because, you know, yes, we have parts of us that are lovely. We also have parts of ourselves that are wretched. And that's who we are as human beings. And it's part of, I mean, even as, you know, artists, and I think that there's something really powerful. It's, It's part of our uniqueness. And I feel really grateful to have an art form where I can kind of shove that stuff into and channel it and and realize that that's what makes, I don't know, makes art so interesting. You kind of take that anger and sometimes that like violence or whatever it is and just embrace that those parts of you exist and, and you become this whole person that, that it loses its power over you. I think like, it's just like, you're not like able to, you know, like the more you don't look at it, you're just like, fighting right, it's it. kind of like yeah sometimes I act as a man I can't help that but you know I'm, I'm working on myself and I think that that's um that's been something that I've been realizing recently really wanting to be around people that are working on themselves like none of us are gonna be perfect we're all gonna have our frizzy spiny bits but that's humanity no I agree I think that my big thing is people that can communicate Anger and conflict healthily is something that more the older I get, the more and more I value, because if we can handle conflict with kindness and grace, then we can deepen our bond. Right. And it's oftentimes when people are reactive or they don't have the ability to apologize or, you know, hold space for your feelings that for me, Mm. I'm just moving farther and farther away from that. And obviously it's I have to work on it myself. It's something that I spend a lot of time on. It's huge. It's huge. It just changes like how you can be in relationship with anybody. Yeah. And I think that one thing I've been learning is that like anger is not a negative emotion. And I think I spent a lot of time feeling like it wasn't okay to be angry. And then I always had to kind of smooth out those parts, but anger is a really powerful force. I think that, and, and that there's a difference between anger and hatred. I can be angry about something and then that propel me and be a catalyst to, to change or to, um, create a boundary or explore and understand myself. But hatred also is kind of maybe really what I was like fighting, being like, I don't want to carry that around. And I think with a lot of the stuff that's kind of happening now, realizing that joy is such a powerful, like it's just a powerful statement. I grew up in a Latin family in Miami. So I grew up being the dominant culture and leaving Miami was its own form of like a mini immigration. When I showed up to LA and realized how different the rest of the United States is from Miami. And it was a lot of learning. And I I had a really difficult time. Part of it was, I thought, oh, it's because I moved away from home and I didn't fully understand what it was like to kind of live on my own. But I realize now in retrospect that I think a lot of it was just cultural and learning stuff, learning new social cues, learning new ways to be that wasn't very Latin. Miami is the joke is always the best part about Miami is how close it is to the United States and realizing how people don't, I'm like, oh, you guys don't look at me the same a lot of times. And that was, that was a really interesting thing for me to realize as as I kind of explored what it was to be a Latina, I never felt so Latina until I left Miami because you just are who you are. That's it, you know, and you don't ever have to explain your 
culturalness or who you, you, the way that you do things. And then when I left, I was like, oh, I'm having to explain myself a lot. I explain a lot about my culture. And then something that was really interesting, then when I was spending time in Mexico, I was a gringa. I was, I was American. And I had never really understood that identity because in Miami, there was the white people were American. I was like, I was Latina. I was Dominican, Puerto Rican, you know, whatever that was. So um, just kind of realizing that that was something that was the space that I was living in. And it felt kind of shifty in a lot of ways and having to explain myself and, and then understanding the broader issue of like the systemic stuff that goes on in this country. Like I couldn't see it from inside of, you know, a, a city that, that felt I felt very represented. It was a bit of an awakening for me to really see what the rest of this country uh, kind of operates off of. Um, and then with kind of going back to anger, realizing that that was something that was a power that was going to keep me engaged and keep me motivated to really advocate for not only myself, but for anybody else that was being otherized or made to feel like they weren't, didn't belong. So I feel like every day I'm, I'm discovering new things that I didn't, I didn't realize of just the way that I, I show up in the world, not only as a woman, but as a woman of color and as a Latina woman. I think that's really important because I sort of feel the same, which is like, if I can channel my anger effectively, it becomes a really powerful tool, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it also makes me realize like, you know, even small stuff, but even in the midst of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm on the call with like Hollywood agencies and I'm having conversations and there's not a depth of understanding of what this cultural moment is. And having yeah. to explain that, I mean, there's no better way to make my blood boil. It's <laughs> no better way for me to get really lit up and really angry. And then I'm like, oh, okay, this is where I'm bumping up against where there's more work to be done. And that's important for me to realize because sometimes I surround myself with people who are fueled by the same sort of passions and purpose. And we live in a world that is a future world that doesn't fully exist mm -hmm. right now. And I have to remember that okay, that's actually what's happening and that's the reality and here's where we have to go and how can I use this frustration and this anger as an ability to do better work? Yeah, and I also feel like we we are so powerful in in our abilities and I I know something that's helped me is like, I can only really be insulted if I give, if I validate that person's opinion as if it's a, a real thing. So, you know, sometimes when I, I hear things that really are upsetting, I just try to imagine them being like, you're a purple poo-poo hat or something, <laughs> where I'm like, you are, that's crazy. Like, I don't know, whatever that is. And just to, to, to allow it to kind of slide off and, and to be empowered in realizing, yes, there's still a lot to do. I mean, even with, um, with Visa, there was a lot of upset and, a, you know, um, Entertainment Week we wrote, something in the Daily Beast and uh, a few other publications, I think, uh, wrote some stuff about the lack of representation for the Latinx community in the Television Academy Emmy Awards. And something that I think people don't realize, because yes, yes, that is definitely something that would be great because, I mean, I think our work exists. I'm very proud of all of it. Whether it gets an award or not is not really the issue. It's just 
more that I think people don't realize what goes into it. And like the network's actually like campaigning for an Emmy award or it's like getting campaigning nominated for, for an Emmy. It's like campaigning for president. So you need to put money into campaigns to campaign to the, the Academy. And if the networks don't do that, you don't, you're not even in the race. Like you're just, so it's, I think that that's something that's kind of important for us to really understand that that's, that's a, like for people to really understand like where that's coming from if the networks don't invest in us in more than just a token of diversity to pat themselves on the back we aren't going to get any further and we need to be aware and hold accountable all aspects not just oh well we didn't get an emmy award it's like well no like actually they're not putting the money behind really allowing us to even show up so uh that's something i think that's kind of going back to like just holding the accountability and using a bit of that, um, whatever that fire is to just start demanding, I think, us get treated the same as other shows. Well, people don't really understand how political awards are. Like, I think from the outside perspective, right, you're like, oh, it's for the person that's the most talented, wins the Oscar, wins the Emmy. And you're like, no, it's a very political system that is designed based on how much you invest and what is your relationships in the business and how much are you campaigning for yourself and schmoozing and networking, right? And I think that, like, part of that for me, like, when I sort of discovered that truth it really made mm-hmm. me care a lot less about what awards meant, right? Like growing up, I'm sure yeah. you're like, I want to win an Oscar. And yes, there's a piece of that that feels powerful and worthwhile. But then when you're like, oh, this is how the system runs, you're like, okay, well then does that mean as much to me as it used to? And the answer is no, right? Like I don't really tune into awards shows no. anymore because for me, that's not a great, indi- it's not a real meritocracy. We're not at awards shows celebrating the people mm-hmm. that are, you know, the best you know, there's so many great shows. I mean, I've been thinking about this recently. I'm like, there's so many amazing shows on Netflix that don't even get publicity, um, like or BBC shows or things like that. And I'm like, we don't, we just glide over. It's really what we sort of decide to back in the same way venture capital works the same way. Like you and like these big marquee funds will invest in a company and then it's a signal to all the other funds. They all invest and they decide basically like, okay, if we put in enough money on marketing for this direct consumer product, then they're going to hit it, right? Like it's either going to net with a market or it's not, but it really is the fundamental piece is cash. It's like, that's what makes or breaks a lot of these companies. And so you're like, okay, well, if everyone conspired to support me and see me succeed, then yeah, you're going to succeed. And sort of that's the same thing. I mean, I I make so many comparisons between Hollywood and venture capital. And really like at the end of the day, it's it's not just it's every industry that's like, you know, driven by white supremacy. It's not just these two, but those are the two I have the most experience with. But it consistently drives me crazy because you're just sitting there and you're like, it's a very pick me culture. And they make you feel so grateful for an opportunity when the reality is there's a lot of great people. And the power, as Michaela Cole recently just said, was like her power was in saying no. I got my first agent after I booked a TV show. I definitely I had a lot of the oh, we love, we love her, but, you know, we already have one ethnically diverse client or, and yet they would have, you know, 10 beautiful blonde white girls on their roster. And it was interesting. And I also don't know where this came from, but when, when I did have an agent say, yeah, okay, we'll give, we'll give her a shot. Being like, no, I'm not going to date some dude that's telling me, well, I'll give you a shot. I want them that's excited, that's ready to like, you know, go to go to their friends and be like, oh, my God, I met the greatest girl. So saying no was kind of I mean, and I had no credits like, you know, I probably needed to be the person that was like, yes, of course, 
And I don't know where I came from, but I remember talking to my manager and thinking, you know what, we're getting, you know, he was getting me enough auditions. And I was just like, I kind of wanted to show up to the table when I have something to bring. And I said it half joking, was like, I'm just going to book my own TV show. And then, you know, and then I'll, I'll have my pick of, of agencies. And nine months later, that's exactly what happened. So much of it is self-worth. Like I remember when I was pitching investors, a lot of investors are think that they have the power position because they're like giving you money. And one investor told me, he was like, you need the money. And I said, can we just clarify how you make your money? You make your money on my hard work. So yes, I need mm-hmm. money. But the idea that you've already come from this, from a power position instead of a team mentality, tells me that we're actually not aligned because I need investors that are like in it, that are my partner, that are my teammate, that are like, that's how you operate. And Mm -hmm. he was sort of shaken because he's so used to like people needing the money. So pandering to him. And I was like, I'm never going to pander to you because that means that like all of a sudden my dream is now in deference to you. And I refuse to have my dream be in, like, my dream is in service of something much bigger than myself. And, like, I'm not going to have one person squander that possibility, right? But so much of that, I just remember that moment so clearly because he was so shocked. But it was like, that is what we forget as artists and creators is that you are the the vessel. You are the idea generator. You are the creator. And they need you. That's how they Mm -hmm. make their money. So if people are not treating you in accordance that you pay or that, like, you're, like, you know, paying back, like, those are not your people. Yeah. And I, and that's our power, I think, collectively to, to do that. I mean, we, uh, my co-star Melissa Barra and I went the third season to renegotiate our contracts and um, the network was not very keen on it, but I was very, and I, and I get it. I mean, their business, they're trying to figure out stuff, but it was, it was definitely a very, like, it was just a crash course in knowing your worth because I was just like, you know what? I know that our show isn't getting the views and the ratings and all that stuff they want, but our show is getting on top 10 list of time magazine of vanity fair, all of these things. None of your other shows are doing that. And we are, we deserve to get paid for the, the what, we're, what we're bringing. You know, it's easy to be like, Oh, well, you know, we're just so grateful that we have a show that you know, has all of these Latinx characters and that, you know, we're just so happy to be be invited to the table. But at some point it's like, no, like this table needs exactly people like us and that are so passionate and care and love what we do. But but that's not enough. Like we, we really have to demand that we get paid what we're worth. You know, it's not like you're asking for something so crazy. And I think a lot of times you just get so scared that you're going to be the person that's like the diva or even something as simple as when you describe a woman as ambitious. It's very different than describing a man as ambitious. Oh, what she, you know, how she, you know, what she like, oh, she's very ambitious. Right. Rarely something but that that's sounds like. what oh. they do to sort of keep you in, in your place, right? Like in my early 20s, mm-hmm. I ran a nightclub and I worked with like one of my dear friends and I knew we were coming up for our raise and I was like, listen, I have a feeling they're going to try and like screw us. You know, I have a feeling they're going to try mm-hmm. and give us not a lot of money. I think we're better off if we if we negotiate together. And so we basically mm-hmm. collective bargain for each other. And I also knew that like there was I was going to get commission on sales because I was doing sales and she wasn't. And I knew there was going to be something where like between like I couldn't do that job without her. And I knew that like we needed to be even like we were teammates. And I remember when we went into like collective bargain, my boss at the time was like, this is so 
unprofessional. This is so immature, right? And then flash forward 10 years, Jessica Chastain is doing the same thing for Octavia Spencer, right? Like we were like, we look back now, we're like, yeah, that was so cool. That was so amazing that we did that. But it was like, we knew what our worth was. We knew that we needed to do that job together. And we were shamed for it. And we stuck, or like, you know, we still like stood for it. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't say, okay, yeah, you're right. We we're like, okay, then it's immature, but like, we're gonna negotiate together. And I think that like, yeah. that is, but that is, that is like patriarchy at work. Like, that is the moment where you're like, well, we're gonna make you feel ashamed for being ambitious or standing up for your partner because the reality is that women do get paid less and my my friend was Korean and like women yep. of color get paid less and I was like you know like we have to st- like stand in our ground and just because that's the only way mm-hmm. it's going to change because the reality is they're not going to change unless you force them to yeah and that was one of the things um I mean shout out to stars because they did do the right thing uh and negotiate our contracts in a way that we we were happy with at the end, but it wasn't easy. If I'm a hundred percent honest, I mean, it really took us not backing down and, and having a conversation where, I mean, we had to be really clear. Certain things were being said that made us feel a little bit like, Oh, maybe we're overstepping our place. But Melissa was like, we didn't invent negotiation. We're not doing anything crazy. And also just kind of really being very clear and being like, it's easy to, out diversity in front of the cameras and to pat yourself on the back and to just wave that token all around. But if you're not going to meaningfully back us when the cameras aren't rolling and pay us for what we are doing for the network, because we were showing up for work. We were, you know, our, both of our performances, like very, very, very humbly were just being praised and in different publications and all that stuff. So we were, we were working, we were performing, we were uh, doing what we, what we needed to do. And like I said, shout out to stars because they really did. Carmi, especially one of the heads of stars at that time, like really did back us when it came down to it. And, and we were very like, but very proud that we had kind of stood together and were very clear with what we were, what we were worth, even if it seemed crazy to everybody else. And, I don't know now <laughs> gave me a little taste of what that power uh, feels like. So now I'm just kind of like, okay, cool. Like now I know that this is not going to happen. Cause even my agents were a little worried. They're like, we don't want to burn a bridge with stars. And I was like, stars want to burn a bridge with me. Like I work really hard. I, you know, do the best that I can. And, and if this is how it's going to work out, then I don't need to work with them anymore. And a hundred percent. And I think that like really what we have to understand, it's not enough to greenlight a show that centers on Latinx culture, if you're not paying people what they're worth and what's commensurate mm-hmm. with what white people are getting paid, then you're actually not being integrated in your value systems of being like embracing inclusion, right? And I think that totally. that for me is such a big one because if we don't financially shift how we operate, we will never be creating equality. And this is like such a call to action for businesses and venture funds and networks mm-hmm. and TV shows. It's like, it's just at this point, it's it's not good enough to just create more content because the reality is like, even with the uh, rise in representative content, we still don't have huge representation. It's still not good enough from a representation standpoint, but then back that up at least with like paying people what is like the market rate for every white person, right? Major props to stars because they did do the right thing. And I think I've heard other actors with other networks that it, it didn't work out as well. And and I was very like impressed with, you know, in the end, how it kind of came through. Um, like I said, it wasn't easy, but I think also, yeah, it's important for us to talk about negotiations and talk about money. 
I agree. And thank you for sharing that because uh, I think it's incredibly important. And I think women need to also not have shame around money. We need to talk about what we're getting paid and how we can get paid more. Mm -hmm. Uh, That transparency is key. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. So I want to, before we move into our sort of rapid fire section, I know you're sort of going through loss. Vita has come to an end. I just caught up on the last season um, and I love it. I'm dying to go to a queer senera. I'm done. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. who's, who's having a queer senera? Can I go? Like, I'm sure that's painful for you, obviously, at the ending and the beginning of something. But, you know, how are you feeling? I feel very at peace about it. I think we would have loved to have gone on. I mean, our little ideal was five five seasons. Um, we, of course, would have loved to have continued on. We're not the powers that be that decides that. We were really bummed that stars decided to cancel the show. Um, but when all is said and done three seasons is a victory. I mean, it's, it's really, and we really did the best that we could with, with what we were given. And, um, and, you know, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to see what happens with everybody that is part of the show, whether it's the writers or uh, the actors, uh, the directors, I'm, I'm really, even, you know, Tanya Sriracho, the, the showrunner, just excited to see what everybody goes on next to do. I know that we all learned so so much on the show and we got to see not only what we were capable of in front of the camera the conversations around gentrification lgbtq queerness uh women latinas like all of that stuff um i'm i'm really proud of that but i'm also really proud of what was going on behind the camera i mean the amount of women and women of color working to bring that show to life was so powerful to be around. And that being my first TV show, I love that that's what I know. And all of us know that it's possible. And I, I really believe that there are people and experiences that expand your idea of what is possible and what you're allowed to dream of in a way. And then you take it a little bit further. So I feel like Visa really planted a lot of really beautiful seeds that we're going to see watered, whether it's within the people that are directly involved with the show or other people that have watched the show and now know that that's possible and feel comfortable asking for it and can point to our show as a success of that. So I'm, you know, like I said, you, you do mourn it, but there is, um, there's so much hope and excitement looking towards the future. I love that. What a beautiful outlook per usual. So we're going to jump into our rapid fire questions, just whatever comes to mind. All right. What would you tell your 20 year old self? Breathe, just breathe a little bit. I think I feel like I was so worked up over a lot of stuff and so like the uncertainty of it all. And I feel like I would have just been like, it's okay. Take a breath. It's all going to turn out all right. I feel like I, and I sometimes like I did an exercise a few weeks ago, it's a Google meditation where you like take the you now and then go back to the you like whatever 10 years ago and it's just like hey guess what in 10 years this and 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 a lot and it allows you to get excited for what's happening right now because it's like i i'm i am like my mother's wildest dream right now what i'm getting to do and to just acknowledge that and know that yes there's a lot more that i want to do and i'm excited for it but like right now like i am my mother's wildest dream 
I always say 13-year-old Denise is, like, stoked on her life. Like, 13-year-old Denise <laughs> yeah. is like, you're killing it, right? 30, 30-year-old Denise is like, well, uh, things uh, don't have a house yet. You know, like, there's things like that. Uh, but 13-year-old Denise is is ecstatic. And I think that's a really good <laughs> thing for us to remember um, is that, you know, the benchmark always moves. So, like, remember, you know, where you were and where you are and enjoy it. What's the last book you read? I'm actually almost done with it. It's called My Soul is Black. It is so awesome. It is uh, Jessica B. Harris, who was a writer for Essence and did a lot of like book reviews. And it's a it's kind of, it has recipes in there. And it was just kind of her living on the outskirts of this black, the black intelligentsia of the 70s. So her experiences with like Nina Simone and Maya Angelou and uh, James Baldwin as this like insider outsider because she was dating James Baldwin's best friend. And I love it because I relate to it a lot where there's this idea of being so close to these thinkers and this powerful vortex that was happening, you know, in the 70s, like New York before the AIDS epidemic, but as just so much was happening and kind of feeling like she fit in, but not quite, not quite fitting in. Add it to my list. Um, It's a good rack. So good. What are you struggling with right now? You know, I had a pretty, uh, the last year has been really life-changing. I've made a lot of big life changes and um, I'm still, you know, letting go, I think has been something because I've had some people that were in my life for a long time. And I think some days I feel really strong in it. And some days I mourn the letting go process being like, it's okay if somebody isn't meant to be in your life to travel with you for so for forever. And as much as like it, kind of going back to like the spiritually enlightened version of me is totally like, yeah, like this is all good. Like, you know, you're, you're passing through, but the little monkey me is like, but I want to be loved by everybody. And, and feeling that loss and, and realizing it's okay. Like if, if people don't love you, the way that you want to, you can love yourself the way that you are. I wish it wasn't so hard. I wish that brainy part of me could just like take over, but the emotional part is still having a hard time with that. Then you would be in the astral field if you had mastered this. You wouldn't be here as a human learning. (laughs) Fling my body to the side and (laughs) run towards the sun. What is bringing you joy right now? I am producing a music video with one of my best friends and right now we are a 14 day quarantine in New York City and I'm on a farm and really allowing myself as unsettling as it as all of this stuff is feeling you know obviously all the civil rights movement and the pandemic and all of that stuff I I'm really in the last few days have been feeling such immense joy and gratitude that I get to be doing exactly what I'm doing with one of my closest friends and somebody I admire so much. And we're on a farm and really looking around being like, wow, this, this is wild that life has, has manifested in this way, but it just fills my heart. It makes it sing. I love it. What's the best advice you've ever received? You know what? This has been something for me that I I carry with me, which is you aren't defined by any one singular moment. You're aiming for a body of work. 
So therefore, if something is a failure or something's a success, you never really understand it until you look back. And you are not defined by any one project, by any one friendship, by any one moment in your life. And when I look at it as a body of work, I, I feel so much more empowered to kind of take risks and allow myself whatever it is. It's going back to even what you're saying about the hero's journey. It's not like, and then I showed up and everything worked out. It's like, there's this, this body of work that we're contributing to. And, and that's been like, don't look at any one single moment. It's all about that body of work. I think that's a great piece of advice for anyone that's feeling like scarcity around whether it's acting or business or work. You weren't, it's not the last thing you're ever going to do. It's not the first thing you're ever going to do. There's like lots of things to do. So I, I love that. Um, I think about my many tentacles that way of all the things that I do. I'm like, it's all part of a larger whole. Okay, I'm going to take us through some of these really, really powerful takeaways that we got today. We started with, you can speak exactly where you are. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to have made it. The reality is that we're all human and there is a thread that connects us. And by you speaking your truth, you will find support, uh, catharsis, and a lot of other amazing things. Your dreams are sacred. I loved that one. I think that you have to hold them fiercely, you have to fight for them, and you don't have to compromise them. And that doesn't always mean that you're gonna see them where you want them to go, but the reality is you'll be living in integrity, and so then the rest, you can, for the rest of your life, be like very proud that you stayed in your values. Abandon perfection. This is not about being perfect, this is about being messy, this is about being learning, that is like what being a human is. Anger is not a negative emotion. I love this one. Anger can be such a powerful tool. And the more that we can understand that feeling is what we're here to do, I think the more we liberate ourselves to sort of free ourselves of those, those what those, the power some of these emotions have on us. You have power as an artist or a creator or a worker. You can stand your ground and know your worth. And I think that's a huge one for anyone that is feeling scared you have something to offer, you are of value, and don't be afraid to fight for yourself. Michelle, this was such a gift and a joy. Thank you for doing this. This conversation took so many interesting turns and places I didn't think it was going to go. I feel like I've walked away today with a lot of things for myself, so I hope everyone else feels that way. Oh, well, I always love, 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 love talking to you. I mean, one of the things I've appreciated about my friendship with you is that even if we don't talk for a while and everything, every time we meet up, it's it's valuable. It's important. It's deep. It's, it's real, you know, and we show up exactly how we're feeling and sometimes yeah. it's great and sometimes we're having, it's a little rough. And I love, love being able to um, have that transparency and not, it's not like, hi, how are things great? Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, it's really, really hard. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate it too. <laughs> I don't know. This world looks a little crazy right now. I don't know about you. A hundred percent. I know. I love that. I feel very, you've, you've always made it very easy to be vulnerable. And I think that's something that in the past I have struggled with, but there's something about how you show up that makes it very safe and comfortable. So I appreciate it. I'm going to wish you all the luck on this shoot. Stay safe. Yeah. And I will see you very soon. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Of course. I love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. You can continue to listen and subscribe to do the work on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. It makes a huge difference if you can review, if you can share and rate this podcast. Thank you so much to Entertainment Speakers Bureau, to Angela, to Nichelle, to David, to Matt, to Smart Post Sound, Lenny for that musical intro, Lindsay for the graphics. 
I am forever in gratitude. I hope you all find and continue to live in your purpose. Thank you.